0: I guess if you're going to look at the friar, then that's kind of the, the two sides. You're going to, the argument on one side is it's very irresponsible of him to say, I'll marry you secretly. The consequences at that time, when Shakespeare wrote the play, of a secret marriage were enormous. It was on a par with abduction or, or even technically rape, to marry the daughter without the permission of the father. It was illegal, basically. And the friar makes the decision to do it. And he's talking to a young man who the day before was madly in love with someone else. So it's not like Romeo's come and said, you know, for two years now, Juliet and I have been madly in love. You know, we need to do something. He said, I met this girl last night, and we want to get married today. Seems a little rash. It's strange because the friar talks so much about uh, moderation. You know, wisely and slow, they stumble, that run fast, he says. And yet he does these very impulsive things. The relationship between the friar and Romeo, they seem very at ease with each other, at ease enough to argue quite a lot. In Shakespeare's time, in the, the nobility, a young man wouldn't have a lot of warm contact with his father. He'd be brought up by females for the first seven years, and then they were let to go a bit feral. I mean, they'd be trained in arms and things, but there were lots of reports of, of young men, around about the age of Romeo would be, hanging around on the streets, gangs of young men, getting up to no good. So it was ever thus we wondered about this this relationship between Romeo and the Friar, as a, sort of, the Friar seeming like a substitute father, because I'm a Friar, I'm called father all the time, but you hear that word over and over again, father, 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 and then you hear me calling him son, 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 that's my good son, young son, you can't help but on some level kind of look at them in that way, and so there seems to be a warmth, of familiarity, and lots of trying to direct Romeo's energy, this wild, impulsive energy, into something that's not destructive. When I thought about why does the friar say, yes, I'll marry you, my initial thought was, well, it's political. I think this will solve the family's problems, this feud. Let's have a gamble. Let's do it. But in playing it with James, another possibility came up, which was just seeing Romeo's disappointment when I say, no, 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 that something in me softens and therefore out of compassion for him and love for him, um, I make a decision that's not as rational, perhaps. Such a sudden switch to go from, oh, she knew well thy love did read by rote and could not spell, and and all the dismissive things I've said about how he switched from Rosaline to Juliet. Holy St. Francis, what a change is here! His brother line that thou didst hold so dear, so soon forsaken Young men's love then lies, not truly in their hearts, but in their eyes To suddenly go, but come, young waverer, come go with me Even that line, you know, it it feels a bit, oh, I feel like I want to ruffle his hair on it You young waverer, (laughs) you little scallywag Again, of course, the friar could really cop it if it's discovered that he secretly married these people. But the, the stages in which he tries to solve the, this vast problem of this murderer, or secret husband, is, first of all, Romeo pulls a knife, and I've got to convince Romeo not to kill himself in my cell. And I manage that by saying, you know, you go and stay in Mantua till things calm down, and then, of course, you know, we'll, we'll beg pardon of the prince, we'll reconcile your friends, blaze your marriage, etc. And then you can come back and it'll be great. Twenty hundred thousand times better now than it was, than it is sad now, so uh, I'm paraphrasing very badly. And then 10 minutes later, the other one comes in and pulls a knife out. And so I think this plan that he comes up with, you know, so it's plan B at least, if not C or D, my intention is to get Juliet's knife away from her throat and back in her bag. As he says, you know, if thou hast the strength of will to slay thyself, then is it likely thou wilt undertake a thing like death? to chide away this shame it's not written as a question to answer the modern ear is it likely sounds like a question um, and, and i've sort of used that as a bit of a challenge to her to try and hook her into listening to my plan take thou uh, this vial being then in bed and this distilling liquor drink thou off when presently through all thy veins shall run a cold and drowsy humor for no pulse. so i guess it's My favourite way of doing it is is very much that I'm thinking these things up, that I don't know until I say the word Mantua that that's where Romeo's going to go. Oh, yeah, that's a good place to go. And then I've got more than one vial, because I always think it's very convenient that the friar comes up with this plan and says, take thou this vial that I have conveniently about my person. So I have to try and remember which vial is which. Uh, This vial, yeah. Which, again, might be useful for Juliet feeding into her doubt. Is he giving me the right stuff? You do wonder about the egotistical side... don't know what the balance was between what we believe is predestined and how much free choice we think we have but you're you're playing with big things it seems like what the friar's doing is almost verging on sacrilegious when he comes in and says you know is the bride ready to go to church and sees all these mourning people and talking about heaven and yourselves had part in this fair maid now heaven hath all and all the better is it for the maid i guess the ends justify the means would be the argument that i would put forward He's going into some grey area, this grey friar. If you look at what happens, if if you judge the actions in the play, it does seem like the friar has a huge influence on on what happens. In our production, Capulet and Montague, their blood is up. We're, you know, they actually have a sword fight. They see the young lads having a fight, and having come out with their big swords to calm things down the way you do, they catch sight of each other, and we each think that the other person started it. And next thing you know, we're swinging our swords around at each other. I don't know if we're trying to kill each other, but we're trying to prove something to each other. And so those, those wounds haven't healed. And even though Capulet talks about, uh, what does he say, um, it is not so hard, I think, for men as old as we to keep the peace, once the prince has told us off, it flares up a bit. Interesting hearing Benvolio talk about his son, talking about Romeo and how moody he is. I kind of flip between an impatience with this adolescent, when Benvolio says, do you know what's up with him? You know, is it?" Uh, what well, I neither know it nor can learn of him, which is a classic father-son relationship at that time. He won't tell me. He's mooning around the place. He won't say anything. He's locked himself in his room. I don't know. There's a lot of frustration there at that point. I don't want to get into trouble with the prince. So the fact that it's started up again is making me look bad, I think, politically. And the fact that the prince does a very clever thing of saying, like, right, Capulet, come with me now. Montague come with me later, I'm going to talk to you separately so we don't know what the other person's having said to them is a good bit of politics, that's keeping us on our toes when Montague comes back the second time walks into the space and discovers a dead Tybalt and then hears very quickly this complicated sequence of events You know, I hear that Romeo killed Tybalt who killed Mercutio at first I thought, well, have your son banished, it's a terrible thing but it must be a relief, I mean, I plead for my son's life when the prince says, who should pay the price for this? and He says, not Romeo Prince, he was Mercutio's friend. His fault, killing Tybalt, concludes but what the law should end the life of Tybalt. So all Romeo's done is saved you employing an executioner. So to have my son banished is unfair, because he shouldn't be punished at all, but it's a relief because he's not going to be killed. Oh, not Romeo Prince, he was Mercutio's no! friend. His fault concludes, but what the law should end, the life of Tybalt no. <laughs> that... Again, a very clever decision by the prince. He's got, got these two families that could just erupt at any point. You know, there could be civil war. At the end, it's just the strangest thing. I haven't really come to grips with it at all, that Montague, in the middle of the night, walks into the Capulet's tomb and sees his son and the girl that he thought had been dead a few days, with blood all over her, Lying on top of him. Montague says, O thou untaught, what manners is in this to press before thy father to a grave? It's more like we're in shock. Why do we build a statue in gold of our two dead children? Is it going to buy us out of our guilt? We know that we've caused this and if we didn't, then the prince tells us a few times. And also, neither of us has an heir anymore. No brothers and sisters gone. Huge thing.